This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Henry Dunphy. Now, one of our greatest footballers, in fact, one of the greatest footballers that's ever been in Europe, or in the world, is Liam Brady. And he is not just a great footballer, he was a huge and important member of the RTE analyst and a very intelligent, astute observer of the game. Great player, as I say. And he's brought out his autobiography. It's called Born to be a Footballer, my autobiography. There's a nice picture of Liam on the front of the book. It really is for everybody who knows of Liam, has seen him play, and particularly Irish people, but anyone really, a great, great book. It's an insight into what it's like to be a footballer from day one. And there is sadness in it, insight into his time in Italy, and I couldn't put it down. And that's very rare in a sports book, particularly when great players are involved and it's a pleasure to welcome Liam to the studio now to talk about his time as a player and of course also laterally as an analyst for 25 years with John Giants and myself and Bill O'Hurley on RT television. Liam, I have to congratulate you on the book. Most football books, most sports books don't do justice to the great people that get involved in the production of them. Every page of this is a delight. I want to ask you about the beginning, because Irish football now, as you know, is at an all-time low almost. In fact, it is at an all-time low, and it isn't anybody's fault. (laughs) It's lots of people's fault. You grew up on the north side, Whitehall. Your father, Eddie, was a gay man. My father was a gay man. He, he liked guy, he liked sport, all sport, of course. But like my father, indeed, he was often out in Parnell Park. So you came from, I suppose, a family that was part soccer and part gay. So there was gay in you. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. He played for Parnells. He was quite a good player. Uh, and 
uh, it was a social thing as well, I think, Parnells then. Yes, you know, it was. Yes. They were of a certain age, and they'd go playing a match, and then they'd have a few drinks together and so forth. Um, and, you know, my great-uncles had been really good Gaelic players too, but um, my great-uncle Frank broke the mold. I think he he realized he could play soccer and get paid for it. Yes. And uh, it could be a living for him, and he made a living from it. You know, he yes. played for Belfast Celtic. He went to Fordson's down, down in Cork, and he, and he took a Dublin family to, to Cork, and I've got so many relations down in Cork yes. City because of that. Um, he um, played for Ireland a couple of times, so... I, I don't know whether he broke the mold of the of the GAA and the family, but all my brothers who were much older than me, uh, I think you played with one of them yourself, I did, Eamon. Eamon. Yeah. Your brother Eamon, yes. Yeah. Uh, um, they started to play football. They started to play soccer, home farm, Stella Maris. Yes. Uh, teams on the north side of Dublin. And um, uh, and my dad, yeah, I suppose, then drifted into being a soccer guy, you know? Yeah, and there was match of the day starting then, wasn't there? Yeah, but he wasn't never in. He was down the pub on a Saturday yeah. night with my mother. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> leaving you with the crisps. Uh, yeah, no, wine gums and, and fish and chips, fish yeah. Fish and chips. That was, that, was, that was it. There is a point early in the book where you see something that makes you determined, that changes your attitude and makes you determined to be a soccer player. Yeah. And I, to be a professional player. Yeah, well... To go to England. It's very early. Well, you know, when you've got two brothers that you hardly see, they were in London playing for Millwall uh, to begin with. And yeah, then Ray they were, and Pat. Ray and Pat, yeah. Yes. Pat is the eldest, and Ray was the same. But Ray was the one that went first. Yes. Ray wanted to get out of Ireland because it wasn't, you know, there wasn't work here. Or there wasn't, and it was a kind of repressive society, and Ray liked to have a good time. Yes. You know, so he, he figured that he'd go to London, and then, you know, he, he watched Millwall playing. He, he was living over in the New Cross area of South London. He watched Millwall playing, and somehow, I don't know how he did it, but he blagged the trial, you yes. know. And he ended up playing nearly 200 games for Millwall. But he was a crazy one, Ray was. Yes. You know, he was, he was, he was a drinker. He I was a drinker. Yeah, and, uh, and he, he enjoyed his life, whereas Pat, who followed him, because um, I think Ray said to the manager at Millwall, my brother's quite good, you know. Yes. And Pat was good. He was yes, capped for, uh, cap for uh, Ireland at junior level, actually played against Duncan Edwards, the great yes. Duncan Edwards, and when they were kids, when they were under 16. And um, he followed Ray. So I was born in 56, and 58, 59, they're both gone. So I had these two big brothers, you know. Yes. And my mother was talking about them, my father was talking about them. We hardly saw them because yes. it wasn't easy to get home then. You couldn't jump on a plane then in those days. It was it was the mail boat to Hollyhead, you know. Yes. So... Um, that that kind of got me interested in the in the football, and then my brother Ray got capped for Ireland, uh, and I think his first game was a game against uh, Austria away, which they were expected to get a hiding. Yes, and nobody turned up. The big boys didn't turn up. I think Johnny turned up. I think yeah. Johnny was there. Yeah, uh, big but, boys didn't turn up. Well, you know, either, yeah, which is why you I know. <laughs> you 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 tell people who the big boys were. No, Cantwell, Charlie yeah. Hurley, Charlie Hurley, yeah. John Giles, yeah. Joe Haverty, yeah, I think Andy Mac, Andy McAvoy. You know, there were 
Tony Dunn, yeah. Shay Brennan. Yeah, but they weren't playing in Austria in, no, in, in Vienna, no, you know, no, and no, they, yeah. they had a bit of a makeshift team, but they managed to get a nil-nil, and I think my brother was uh, instrumental in getting a nil-nil, let's say, because yes, that's right. he, could, he, could, he could put her about a bit, completely different player to me. Yeah. And they got a nil-nil, and they, the second leg was in Daly Mount, 63, packed house. Yes. And we beat them 3-2, and there goes a goal in the last minute. And you, if you look at pictures of it, you can Google it. Yes. The fans are on the pitch. You were there. I was in the stand with my mother and father, you know. And you said, I'll have some of that. Yeah, I want this. <laughs> I began by talking about the state of Irish soccer at the moment and how sad it is. But you joined St. Kevin's Boys Club in Whitehall, and they weren't what they are now. They are now a superb club with superb facilities and you refer to that in the book but you also refer to what they were at the time which compared to the home farm where your brothers had played which was the, the Manchester United of Irish schoolboy football in fact and but were for the better class of person but the thing is you played for Kevin's tell me the importance of that to your life Liam and this links into the importance of how the national team and the health of general health of the game can inspire young people to play, young players, men and women now these days. Well, it was it, it was a club, I suppose. Um, the headquarters was in the local park, uh, Ellenfield Park, that was in the middle of our area. Our area was Whitehall. I was from Whitehall, but you had Bowmount on the other side of the park. Yeah. You had Santry on the other side of it. So there was all these kids, you know, who wanted to play football, and Kevin's gave them the chance. It didn't matter what standard you were. They had you, and they, they coached you, and they, okay, then you you might be in the C team, you might be in the B team, or if you're good, you're in the A team. Yes. And, you know, I was I was there since I was a kid, watching, watching the games going on, um, being able to play because, you know, under 10, I was pretty good. I could play maybe at under 12 and things like that, so... That's how I started off, but they looked after all the kids. It was a great community uh, facility for for the for the kids in Whitehall, Santry, Ballmount. And it's know. grown St. Kevin's now, and it's one of I've been up there to see the facilities, and it's a glorious position and a, a fantastic amenity for young lads who want to play and the inspiration to want to do that. I mean, you just described there, and you do very well in the book how a moment in Daily Mount with your brother playing, you know, little, little torch somewhere in you. And it's important, isn't it? Yeah, well... And Socially ke- and, f- and sporting-wise. Absolutely. You know, you want kids to be interested in sport, camaraderie, learn how to lose together, learn how to win together. Uh, and Kevin's gave us that. Yes. You know, as did all the other f- soccer clubs in Dublin. Yeah. Don't, don't I'm not singling out Kevin's, but Kevin's was my area, yes. and I started to play for them. And as you say, Home Farm was the was the the elite club, schoolboy club, and the, because my brothers had played there, they were always saying to me, come and play for us, come and play for... My brother Frank was playing for Home Farm at the time. Yes, and, and Frank I wouldn't, is a good oh, player. You're late brother Frank now. Yeah. He was a good player. No, he, he's, he's got an FAI... Cup winners medal, uh, Shamrock Rovers against Waterford in 1968. Yes, I used to follow him. I used to go over to Milltown from the north side to go and watch him playing. You know, all uh, those buses that used to uh, yeah. College Green yeah. and all of that. But it was a wonderful environment 
if you wanted to play soccer. There was a buzz around the League of Ireland, for example, wasn't there? Absolutely, Rovers, yeah. You'd get Drumcondra were yeah. still going down, Bohemians. And you, you, you talk again in the book about how you, you used to go to the League of Ireland matches and love it. And that's where your love for the game was formed, as it were. Yeah, I knew all the characters in League of Ireland football, yeah. you know. You, you ben, ben Hannigan was my favourite Yeah, player, and Ben, know? I played with Ben in the road leagues, and Ben was a great, great character. And I also, it's the story I've never told you, but I should tell you, we played, there was a match in Daily Mount once, it was a kind of exhibition match, as they used to call them, and I was playing in a mixed team, and Ben was playing, and Bobby Charlton had come over to play. And the midfield was Ben Hannigan, who was like, he used to walk around Dublin with a bouncer, a, a ball, you know? <laughs> yeah. And he'd be doing tricks and that, and he could do everything. And he was a big fella, Ben, and he was a docker by times. And we were playing against whoever we were playing against, I don't know. And Bobby was going through the motions, really. And Ben gave him the most almighty bollocking. He said, for fuck's sake. Bobby, get on, come on, watch me. <laughs> but there was that kind of character, which is deeply attractive. Oh, he was very serious about his football. Yeah, you know, he was. He's, he's, you know, he thought Bobby a, wasn't putting it in. Yeah, where are you coming over here, you know, going through the motions? Um, but uh, Noel Campbell tells a great story about Noel Campbell, who we lost last year. Yes. Tells a great story about uh, Ben. Uh, he, he, he's in Tolka and... It, comes to him on the edge of the box and he, he, he goes for a shot and it comes off his shin, but somehow it deceives the goalkeeper and bobbles into the net and all his teammates come around and Ben said, go away, I don't want that goal. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. He played for Shells, actually, I think. That's why it would have been in, in, in Tokyo. Now, you became very good and you were a standout, which was huge. And they were scouts. There was a legendary Manchester United scout, Billy Bean, and you describe it again beautifully in the book, because I remember myself when Billy turned up at a schoolboy match. This would be under thirteen, maybe under fourteen. Everyone there was a buzz around the ground. Who was he coming to watch? Because I remember playing for Stella Maris, and I remember Billy appearing. And I was a good schoolboy player. I didn't. I didn't train on as they say in racing, but I was a good schoolboy player. So. You describe perfectly the buzz when Billy comes in the ground. So he was looking at you. Well, Billy had made it known to me that he liked me. Yeah. And uh, but I was small, Eamon, and I I think he was a little bit worried that he might make the mistake to send me over when I was too weak physically. Yes. And I wouldn't show. Uh, so he wanted me to wait to be patient and so forth. Didn't actually tell me in that, but I'm guessing that was. The reason. Yeah, he was a softly spoken man and a very. He worked in a glass bottle company and he had a bookie's pitch at the dogs. Yeah, he was the character around Dublin. You he know, was, I yeah. think he was a goalkeeper himself. He was. He was a know. great friend of Busby's. He played yeah. with Busby, played yeah. for Manchester United in the pre war, I think. But he had Busby's ear. Busby would listen to him. 
Yeah, well, he brought some great players over, didn't he? You know, John, Johnny Giles yeah, and Tony yeah. Dunn. You know, great players. Yeah, you know. and Tony came Goalkeeper, from, I think there was a Pat Dunn, a goalkeeper. Pat Dunn, yeah, yeah. Pat Dunn, yeah. yeah. He played in my first international. Yeah, so he brought all these players to Manchester. But Manchester United had the run of the place, didn't they? Yes. We were all Man U yeah. fans. Liam would have been I was another. a Man U fan when I was a yeah. kid. Were you? Oh, I was, yeah. yeah. Liam Whelan was another great player oh, who well, died in yeah. the Munich yeah. air crash. Yeah. Yeah. Billy yeah. would have been responsible for Liam yeah. going over. However... Arsenal also had a scout in Dublin. Well, this this guy, Bill Darby, who, who became the Arsenal scout, wrote to the, uh, the chief scout and said, look, you don't have anybody here in Dublin. There's a lot of good, really good schoolboy players. Manchester United are just taking their pick, you know? Yeah. So they sent the Welsh scout over to check this guy out, Bill Darby. Malwin Roberts was his name, you know. And Malwin liked me when he saw me playing. Malwin said to Bill, take me to the best game in this morning, Sunday morning. Bill took him to St. Kevin's. We were good. We were yeah. top of the league. Quite a few good players in the team. Yes. Um, and Malwin said, oh, I like the little fella. You know, and they went around to my mother and knocked on the door. They found out. That's what they yes. did in those days. They did, yeah. Where does he live? They went around, because I only lived five minutes walk from there. I knocked yeah. on the door and said, you know, we're from Arsenal. We'd like to ask your kid to come, man. That's the call I was waiting for, Raymond. You yeah. know what I mean? My mother got the knock on the door from Billy Beans and she ran him out of the place. She didn't want me to go to it. Well, 15, 15 was a big deal. I was, you know? actually was, yeah, yeah, I, I was 13. I doubt if my mother wanted me to go, but she no. knew how much I wanted, wanted it. it. And yeah. so did yours, I expect. Oh, yeah, yeah, and maybe they wouldn't see you again, you know, the people of that generation, when they went, they were gone, you know. But to, to go back to... The decision, you didn't have a decision to make. Why did you choose Arsenal? Because they looked after me, you know. Uh, I did well in my trial. You know, the next week or there's a new pair of football boots being delivered yes. to the, you know. They, they knew how to. Yeah, Bunny Fulham was the manager, or but Bunny Fulham was the scout uh, for Coventry at I know, the time. You, no. you mentioned Bunny in the book. Well, Bunny was raging that yep. Arsenal got in first as well because he was saying to my mother, you know, yep. take him to Coventry, I'll bring him to Coventry, I'll bring him to Coventry. Yeah, and I was interested in that because they were in the first division. They were, yeah, Jimmy Hill that was yeah. the manager, actually, yeah. the, the late Jimmy Hill and the late Bunny Fulham now. Bunny was a fullback, played for drums. Yeah, I remember watching him. He was a great you know. character. He was a friend yeah. of my father's, actually. Yeah. And he was a friend he of David Cruncher, wasn't he? He was a killer, wasn't he? Oh, a killer, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he used to mark Liam Toohey. And the Rovers' drums were the big rivalry then. Yeah. And Liam would skip past him, you know, and Bunny would lunge into the wall. He was a big friend of David O'Leary's father. Yeah, that's right. Bunny. They hung out together. Anyway, you... But, no, but I was just going to say, Bunny come around to my mother and offer her a washing machine. You know? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Please yeah. don't let him go. I'll give you a washing machine. Yeah. And my mother said to me, what What do you think? I said, no. Arsenal. <laughs> Arsenal, yeah. When you got to London, Liam, and you had a look around, what was your first impression of your position in the order of things. I mean, you were small. Yeah, you got the piss taken out of you, didn't you? You know, you didn't have any gear, didn't have any money for gear for a start, you know. Yeah. So, and you know what the London lads are like, they like to be sharp. I, I mean, do, you, yeah. you were there in I London was, yeah. for a long time. Yeah. And uh, so your determination is save your wages up and get a bit of gear, you know. So yeah. that's what I, that was my first thing. But then there was the grind of the chores we had to do as apprentices. Yes, you know? and there was one man in particular who was driving that. He was in charge. And in those days, you weren't an apprentice. I, I think maybe they used to be called ground staff boys, but I was a bit before you. But maybe the apprentices had started. 
and but still you had to do the work until you got your professional contract which you qualified for his 17 but there was one man in particular who was in charge and would make sure every bit of dirt was scraped off the boot he'd inspect them and he was a Dublin man as well Tony Donnelly you know and he was very tough with us very very hard on us you know no preference. I guess there was there, there was a kind of philosophy around at the time, you know, make them yes, make them humble, make them realize that they've got to work if they're going to make it at this game. You know, I think I think that was misplaced because yes. all the time we were doing chores, we should have been working on our skills exactly. and working on our bodies to make yeah. us stronger. Even your education and education as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that wasn't there. But you know, it was it was hard, and I came home that Christmas. So my first Christmas at home, yes. I didn't want to go back, and I wrote to our Arsenal and said I wasn't coming back. And uh, Gordon Clark, who I got very close to, the chief scout, he said, "Okay, take your time. You know, have a have a couple of weeks." And yes, I think he knew just you know I'd miss it. Yes, yeah, you know, and I did miss it. I missed training every day. I missed the football. I was at a great football club. Yes, I was going to the first team matches on a Saturday. You know, yes. I was cleaning the dressing rooms out. Okay, but I was cleaning the away dressing room out, yeah. and there was Dennis Law and Bobby yeah. Charlton, yeah. Johnny Giles, and yeah. Rodney Marsh and Franny Lee, and all these guys. You know, yeah. who were heroes to me. Yes, so I missed all that, and uh, I got the plane back, and from that day on, I was focused. I. I and we had a, a coach in, in, in the youth team who wouldn't let us have our hair long. Yes. And, you know, Ian Crawford, he was a Scots fellow. He was like Sergeant Major. Yes. Good, better, best. I shall never rest till my good is better and my better best. Yes, you, you have know? that written in the book. And yeah. It's, and it's that, really, that's, really the Sergeant Major thing of that and the work ethic of it. Yeah. But when you're a kid, when you're young, you know, you think, ah, fuck that. But, I mean, when you grow up, there's something in it, but it's how it's delivered, isn't it? How the message is delivered. Yeah, we had Johnny Murphy there. You know, there was four of us there at the same time. Yeah. After a couple of years, it was myself. There was then Frank came. Yeah, Frank Stapleton. And then, and then yeah. David O'Leary, and he came with Johnny Murphy. Who yes. Johnny Murphy ended up playing for Ireland at rugby. Yes. He was a very yes, good yes, soccer yes, player, but yes. John, John, Johnny couldn't stand this regimental person. Was there any doubt in your in your case, if I'm right? You were always going to be signed pro. Like a lot of people would be waiting. Will will I will I make it? And one of the big stepping stones to making it was signing a professional contract, which meant no more ground staff work, for example. Absolutely, yeah. You were away from all that. You yes, know, we were away from all that. And, and yeah, I kind of yeah. knew because at sixteen I was playing in the reserves with men. You know, yeah. sixteen and a half I was playing with men, so I was being pushed on. So you kind of know you're doing. Yes, you're, you're hitting the you're hitting the targets. Was yeah? Bertie Mead the club manager then? He was. Yeah, and Don Bert- Howe was his assistant at some mm, stage. No, the, he was Don Howe was the assistant when they won the double in seventy one. Okay, and then Don went off to West Brom yes. to manage them, and yeah. Bertie got Steve Burtonshaw in, who had been the reserve team coach. So it was Bertie, Steve, Bordenshaw. By the time I got my debut, it was Bobby Campbell, who went yes. on to manage Chelsea, Fulham. Yes. And Bobby, I think, encouraged Bertie to put some kids in, you know. And and that's how, how I got my chance. How did you debut? I did really, really well. I was brought on after 10 minutes against Birmingham City. Right. And I, uh, you know, like the crowd took to me. I was confident. I yes. was passing it well. I was dribbling people and things and. They hadn't seen me before, and I had this long hair, skinny yes, kid, you know. Yes, yes. And they took to me. Uh, 
and I played so well, I kept my place for the following week, and it was against Spurs or yeah. White Hart Lane. I never got a kick. <laughs> yeah. I never got a kick. I just got railroaded out of it, you know. And then I got back in, I was put back in the reserves, but I had a taste of it, and I said, this is what I want, you know. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. There's one story in the book that was kind of fascinating in a way. As part of the deal for you to go to Arsenal, your dad was given a scouting job. He was getting... I think it was £40 a month. And when you signed pro, and you were on, I think you were on 25 quid a week, the downside was your dad couldn't keep the scouting job. But it just shows now, players of your era, how tight the money was and what kind of money we're talking about compared to today. And you were later head of youth development at Arsenal, so you know the zillions that are offered. But your dad lost his sinecure as... as we'll call it. But you got a rise, but the rise hardly compensated. No, it didn't compensate, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, once I got a few quid when, as I got into the first team and then I, yeah. I, I would obviously look after my mother and father. But for a couple of years, that 40 quid a month yeah. uh, was badly missed in the Brady household in Whitehall, yeah. Right. Now, one of the things, you were able to grow your hair long and... You've always been a great, fun person too. And you share something, many things with George Best, actually, the brilliance of your game and, and the, what it was based on, the skills learnt on the streets. Snooker. You became a snooker addict, you, you say in the book. Yeah. And yeah. I, George was a snooker addict. We used to hang out in the snooker halls all the time. We got hustled, actually, once by Alex Higgins because they had no money either. They weren't getting big money. Yeah, there was always a hustler, and I could yeah. hustle as well. But right. Yeah, yeah, I could give. I could give. I knew I could give a guy three blacks. 
and right. and beat him, you know. And, and I'd win a few bob, but then somebody else would hustle me. Yeah, well, what they used to do, I mean, there was also John Spencer, the snooker player. He was a hustler. He used to hang around the snooker hall in Charlton. George fancied himself big time. Now, George was really good, and he fancied himself big time, and Spencer took fortunes off him, <laughs> uh, fortunes in those days. He'd always beat George on the black. Just got there. Just got there. <laughs> And that was the way. But you got into that and you the social life of North London and it's characteristic of you everywhere you've been. And we'll move on to Italy in a moment. But you've always immersed yourself. And when you went to Italy, your wife Sarah was with you in the culture of where you are, not just in England, but you've always sort of belonged to it, not longing for somewhere else so much as belong to it. And you'd won a bad experience that you detail in the book on the tube train because these were fraught times between Ireland and England because of the IRA, because of the oppression and because of all kinds of things, prejudices English people had and some of them with pub bombings and things were justified. And you had to live with a, a bit of that. Didn't you? Yeah, we were, we, we, you know, any time we came in and out of Heathrow Airport, we were checked regularly, you know. Because, yes. Yeah, you know, <laughs> we were stopped and asked what we were doing, where we were living, yeah. things like that, you know. So there was that atmosphere. And then the, the English people, the London people, are always very good. Yes. Always very good to me and, and, and my mates as well, you know, like Frank and Dave O'Leary and so forth. But they didn't understand what was going on. Yes, exactly. When when these bombs started to go off in England, they they just didn't get why or things like that. So, um, yeah, I had I had this run in with people on the train. Four guys on a on a tube train. On a packed tube train. Packed tube train. I was with a girl. Yeah, we'd been to the pictures or something like that. Coming back about ten and ten o'clock at night. And the tube train was packed, but I never seen it clear so quickly. I mean, right. when they started at me, you know, yeah, they just nobody no helped me. No nobody helped me. No, no, no. no and but, you got a uh, bit of a beating. I got uh, they knocking my face against the window, of the tube, and things like that. But you know, there you go. Those were the days. Now you're in the Arsenal team, and it was a good team, but not a great team, if if I can put it that way. The players you played with. I mean, David, was David in the team with you? Yeah, uh, you know, Frank. I got him first, then Frank, then yeah, David. Yeah, and you're yeah. very, very complimentary about Frank, the relationship you had with Frank on the pitch and how it worked almost instinctively. You knew each other, he knew, and you could deliver for him. The point I want to get to is that Arsenal were never going to take the next step. You had a good team. You were always contenders. You'd go to Liverpool and you'd get your share of points there and all of that. But there was just not enough quality, maybe because they weren't prepared to go into the transfer market in a, in a big way, the way United and Liverpool and other big clubs would. Yeah, like Bertie lost his job on the back of, of results, as every manager does, you know, and then we got Terry Neal in, you know. Yes. And, Terry had... I want you to tell me a story about Bertie Mee, because you're very kind. A feature of your book is your generosity and your capacity to forgive, even me. But (laughs) but more importantly, Bertie Mee, you went into his office looking for something. No, I went into his office. uh, I wanted to play in the youth 
Cup semi-final. That's right, as opposed to a game against Liverpool. Uh, uh, the Liverpool game was the following the night. The following night, yeah. yeah. And I thought I was only going up to make the 13th man or the 12th yeah. man. I wouldn't be playing. You know, I was only yeah. going to Anfield. You want to play in the Youth Cup final, which is the a youth great The semi-final against yeah, Spurs. To yeah. get to the final. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, 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 Ian Crawford, my coach then, the youth coach, said, oh, I can't play it tonight. Bertie said, you know, the boss has said, uh, you, you can't play. You're going up to Liverpool with the first team. Stupidly, I went up and knocked on his door. <laughs> and I said, uh, Mr. Me, uh, you know, you've not allowed me to play tonight. Can I, I would really like to play, you know, Youth Cup semi-final. And he said, well, you're in the... In the uh, in the first team squad, I said, I know, but you know, I really liked. It. He said, "Get out, you stupid boy." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and of course, but younger listeners won't remember Bertie Me. He was a very kind of establishment type, crusty figure, and there wasn't a lot of joy in the face, and there was a a thing, like a sergeant major thing. Well, but- he wasn't a football man. I mean, he never played football. He was a physio, you know. Right. But, but the, the the board of Arsenal recognised that he had leadership qualities and yes. authority. And yes. I think he followed um, Billy Wright. Yes. And apparently yeah. Billy was terrible with... Yeah, with, with I, I he couldn't... He, Billy he could, had been a great Wolves player. Yeah. And in England centre-half, he was a legend. Billy. Yeah, and, and that you thought was going to make him a great manager, but it wasn't. wasn't he wasn't. It wasn't that type. I no, he, yeah, he didn't. He didn't have any authority with the players. So yeah, they brought Bertie in, and Bertie did bring authority. And then he brought great coaches to the club. Yeah. Dave Sexton was his coach to begin yeah. with. Ron Greenwood. Yes, and then Don Howe. So he knew his capabilities weren't coaching. Yes. But they were organization and authority. And they went on to win the first cup in 70. And then in 70, won the double. They finished second in the league. They got to the final when Leeds beat them 1 0. Yes. Yeah. You know, all the, he had four or five brilliant years. Yes. And then he brought Alan Ball to the club, but it caused a lot of problems. Yes. <laughs> okay. You know, we won't go into that. It's too long. But the, the first team broke up. Frank McClintock left. Yes. George Graham left. All these guys had won the double left. And he supplemented the the team then with kids like us. Yes. But I don't know. We'd probably talk a little bit about Ireland. But oh, we uh, yeah, there's a lot of kids playing for Ireland now, and someone's going to come in and and after Stephen Kenny, yeah. I'm guessing yeah. that's what's going to happen. Yeah. But he's going to find players who've had experience. Yes. The next guy. So Terry came in. By that time, I'd played nearly a hundred games. Frank had played sixty games. Dave O'Leary, yeah. 60, 70 yeah. games. Graham Ricks, yes. uh, uh, David Price, all these, all these guys, uh, kids, yes. uh, were now experienced. And Terry Neal took over that team. Yes. And then he got rid of some of the players that didn't fancy him because he'd been a player with them. So yeah. Jordy Armstrong left, yeah. Peter Simpson left. Yeah. Um, and eventually Alan Ball was pushed out, you know? Yeah. Uh, and and just to talk about Alan Ball for a moment, I played against him. He, as a youth player, many times he played for Blackpool. He came from Blackpool. His father managed Blackpool, I think, and I knew him very well. He had a squeaky voice, yeah. And we used to be like, but he was he was a terrific player, and you paid tribute to his ability and also to the fact that he led his tray and now and again. I mean, he's he's God rest him. He's dead now, sadly, because he was part of the great England team that won the World Cup in 1966. As he put him on the right wing in that team, which was a very imaginative but controversial choice. But he was a, a wonderful player, wasn't he? And, and, he was and a, a great, great 
a great sort of great lad. Yeah, he was Marmite. You either loved him or you hated him. I mean, you know, and uh, he was uh, he, he was. He took to me, you know, and, oh, yeah. and I took to him, so we were going <laughs> Two roads to Windsor Park on a, on a Monday yeah, night. Yeah, you mentioned or, that, and Newmarket on, <laughs> on a, Friday, on night. a Friday night, which is a bit soon, <laughs> which you've got a game the following day. No, no, this was always pre-season, oh, right. but we knew okay. we had a hard day's training the next day, yeah. but, you know, we'd get in at 2 or 3 in the morning, and yeah. he could train, he could run all day, yeah. you know, yeah. and we'd usually finish off the Saturday in pre-season with a cross country, and I was wiped out, you know. But that Bali, Bali was great. Bali uh, took me up to the West End. Yeah. All the places that I shouldn't have been, Bali yes. took me, you know. Now, I want to move on to the point where you become disenchanted with Arsenal, and the point where what disenchants you is that you feel, I think you have a conversation, or you hear from the chairman of Hillwoods, where the, you know, Old Etonians, uh, Oxford, very posh family. They were never going to spend the money to take Arsenal to the next level. A bit like with Arsene Wenger was there, really, and, you know, you see it now, even the Manchester United. Sometimes you need to go for the so the Harry Kane or the Virgil van Dijk, and they weren't going to go there. But you became disenchanted, and one thing of the things that inspired you, I think, to want to go and play abroad, and this is a remarkable testament to your character and your, well, your courage, really, with Kevin Keegan. Kevin went and left Liverpool when he was top, top man. Him and John Toshak up front, Liverpool, Bill Shankly, Bob Paisley. You know. And Keegan had, I mean, people often make fun of him now, but he had a steely determination about him. And he went to Germany and he became European footballer of the year, twice. He was an inspiration for you in some way or certainly opened your mind to a possibility that others would not have seen. Yeah, you know, he was the first one to leave England, the first big player to leave England, you know. Um, and he did and, it, and as do you it successfully. say. And yeah, There's a lot of players. Dennis Law had left, Jimmy Greaves had left, but they couldn't settle in foreign cultures. That's right. But and Keegan did. Keegan did and transformed the Hamburg team into champions, you know, and yeah. next... They were champions, and then they were playing in the European Cup. Actually, Forrest beat them in the final, if you remember. Eh? Yes, do, Forrest yeah. beat Hamburg in the final. Yes, yeah. I think John Robertson might have got the yeah, goal. 1-0, yeah. yeah. Uh, I thought it was your friend. Trevor, right? no, Trevor was Malmo. They beat Malmo, Malmo. Right. yeah. And Trevor, Trevor got that goal yeah. on the far post ahead, I remember it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we go back to Keegan, yeah, he, he kind of changed uh, my thinking anyway, you know. yes. And I had an agent then. By this time, I had an agent, about 78, I had an agent. The other thing about Arsenal, I didn't feel that they'd looked after me as a player regarding salaries. Yes. You know, every manager when tried to keep to the club, wage bill down. Yeah, and when you've come through the club since yeah. you've been a boy, you're much more disadvantaged to the guy who's bought for 50 grand at the time. Yeah, and there was no freedom of contract then. Oh, yeah. but, but, however, you could go to Europe if your contract was finished and the club couldn't stop you from going. Right. And that's what happened, Keegan. Yes. And it was going to happen, Tony Woodcock and Cloughy sold them before his contract expired right. to get more money. Yes. So I I started thinking this way, and Dennis Roach, who was my agent then, uh, had Bayern Munich lined up. Actually, after an Ireland-England uh, match at Wembley, I think we lost 2-0. Keegan might have got both goals. It was in the European Champions. One of John Giles' last games as manager. 
Um, I met Uli Holness in a restaurant in London after the game, and Uli was saying, you know, we're going to yeah. have you. He's a director of Bayern even now. Yeah, he went to prison. <laughs> yes. <he laughs> but we won't go into that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, you know, I think he was a bit too close to agents, but there we yeah. go. Uh, Uli said, we're going to take you at the end of the season. So I was learning German. I was got the lingua phone out, and I was learning German. And uh, then it, nothing seemed to be happening towards the end of the season. Arsenal hadn't paid me very well. The, the the ambition of the club was lacking. Yeah. But in some ways, they were a great club because they didn't overspend. They wanted to look after the shillings, you know, to make sure that the club remained at the at the top, but they couldn't push to win the championship. They weren't going to spend millions. So that was the other thing. And, you know, um, I heard that Keegan had earned a lot of money going to Germany, so that was the other attraction. Can you give us any idea what you were on in Arsenal? At that stage, uh, well, and you were a top top player. Well, the 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 system was when I left Arsenal. You don't uh, put figures in the book, and I'm not asking you. I don't want to ask you a personal question, but just to give our listeners. No, I'm happy to tell you. I'm happy to tell you. I mean, like the figures at the time were with all in bonuses and wages and loyalty payments. I think I got about forty grand in my last season. At at Arsenal, right. at 40 grand. But we got to the final of the European Cup, Winners Cup. We got to the final of the FA Cup. So that inflated my wages to 40 grand. Yes. Now, the the formula was with UEFA that it was 10 times, depending on your age, 10 times your wages. Yes. So I was going to leave to go to, I thought, Germany for 400 grand, which was a bargain price yes. at the time. It wasn't quite freedom of contract, No, but, but it, it was wasn't far from yes. it, you know? Yeah. And when I went, eventually I, I ended up going to Italy, um, and I would have earned probably six times what I was earning at Arsenal. Yes. So that gives you, you know, the 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 the, the attraction of going as well. Now, if 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 Juventus offered me forty grand a year, I probably would have said no. I'm, I want to stay at Arsenal. But now there were two people the, key to that move: Ronnie Teeman, who was a solicitor and a friend of John's, close friend of John's. And uh, Gigi Peranacci, Peranacci mm. the late Gigi Peranacci, and you pay a very generous tribute to both of them and to Gigi in the book for he's passed he's passed on. But well, he passed on in my first year, and he was the the man that that organised the deal to go to Juventus. I used to go around to his house, you know, maybe once on a uh, once a month on a Sunday, and he would say he talked to me about Italian football and. He brought Law to Torino. He brought Baker to Torino. Yes. Jimmy Greaves to AC Milan. Yes. Like yes. a generation before me. Yes, of course. Uh, yeah. So Gigi was the man. I didn't know, but he was he was trying to get Kevin Keegan to Juventus as well. Right. He was covering all the bases. Yes. But he had charm. He had he he he, he was really really nice guy. And, and you uh, describe in the book how you, you threw away your German lingophone and got some Italian so that you and Sarah could learn the language, which again is an enormous reflection in a great way on your character. Because one of the things that the other lads would never have done would have been learned the language. And it's something about you that makes you different. You learned the language and you speak it perfectly. Well, yeah, you know, not, not many Italians spoke English then. Quite a lot of yes. Italian people now speak English, but then they didn't. So I had to aim, and you know, yeah. to make myself understood or yeah. to to function in life outside yes. of football of course, as well. Yes, yeah, yes. So. 
I was happy to learn. And I have to say my education helped me a great deal with that. I learned French at school at St. Aidan's and uh, I learned Latin. And that was huge help to me learning the Italian language. Right. Let me ask you about the day you arrived, because there's a wonderful description of it in the book. And I really, really say this to everybody listening. And I know you all know Liam. It really is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful story of a life. And it's about football as it happens, which makes it, you know, of great interest. In fact, any sportsman. The day you arrived (laughs) and the reception you got from the Juve fans. Well, I looked out the window of the aeroplane. It was a flight from Heathrow to Turin in the in the August, and it was uh, Turin is not a holiday destination, so the flight was pretty empty. It was business people, or family maybe coming back or something like that. Well, I looked out the window, and on the balcony of the airport, there was hundreds and hundreds of Juventus fans in black and white scarves and things like that. And by the time I got off the plane, they were down at the steps of the plane, you know. Yes. Poor people getting off the plane didn't know what was going on, you know. So then they lift me up shoulder high. I hadn't kicked the ball for them, by the way. Yes. They lift me up shoulder high yeah. and bring me into the terminal, no passport control, <laughs> straight to the press conference where there's yes. about... 40 guys from the press yes. there want to ask them questions. Yes. Why are you coming here? Are you going to be able to do it here? All this kind of yes. thing. So you get a bit of trepidation, you know what I mean? What have I got myself into there? Yeah, you say yeah. that you felt desperately nervous. <laughs> Giovanni Trapattoni was the coach who, of course, we all know from his spell in Ireland. And he was a great coach at that time. It was a great club. And you put in a lovely apartment. He sees you in, and da, 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 everything got grand. No, he got me. He got me my hi-fi stereo. We went to oh, Milan. Right. He drove yeah. me to Milan. He knew people in Sony. Yeah, and uh, they were friends of his. Yes, and I got bargain deal. You know what I mean? Yeah, you, great, told, you say great. actually it was a trap deal. <laughs> you describe it as in the book. Well, I couldn't put. I can't. No. I can't change a plug, game. No. And I, I'll be honest with you. I can't change a plug. So, so you I ran said to the him the next day. Juventus, I said, I've, the, the, the legendary <laughs> Giovanni and told him that your record player wasn't working. Well, I told him, "Do you know anybody know. to put my, uh, you know, the system together?" And because I had a television and a, vi- yeah. a video yeah, recorder, yeah, so we could watch and you're a videos big from my fan, you're a big oh, music. Fan. I needed my music, you yeah. know. And yeah, needed it, right. needed it. So he said, don't worry, I'll come round and put it together. And I, and I said to Sarah, Trap is coming round, you know, Mr., we call him Mr., because yeah, that's course, like yeah. boss or gaffer. Yes. Mr. is coming round to, to, so there he is laying on the floor, Raymond, you know, with screwdriver and he's putting, <laughs> you know, he's putting my hi-fi together. Yeah. And then he says to me at the end of it, no, this music you like, classical music, yeah. relax, relax, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. But that, that, who, could you imagine anybody doing that? No, no. coach, no. It's, no. <laughs> he drove me to Milan to get it, and then he's laying on my floor putting it together. Now, that brings us to the end of part one of our conversation. Liam's book, Born to be a Footballer, is available in all the shops now, and we'll be back soon with part two of my conversation with Liam. It's a great book. I really enjoyed it. A cut above most books, and particularly most sports books. We're very grateful to Liam for talking to us, to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. 
and talk to you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.